episode of get a good start find us on facebook instagram and youtube at get a good start visit us on getagoodstart.com for the accompanying blog to this podcast which provides additional information about my guests links to the information we discuss and ways you can put into action what we talk about here on the show so you can get a good start hey welcome everyone and this week's guest is definitely a treat he is a graduate from and was an instructor at the west point military academy he led combat troops in iraq and afghanistan received numerous military commendations he is a nationally recognized expert on leadership development and terrorism he is an author he is the executive director of the bacino leadership institute at seton hall university he is also the founder of topmentalgame.com and if all of that isn't cool enough he is a retired apache helicopter pilot doesn't get any cooler than that. Welcome to the show, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Price, PhD. Dr. Price, welcome to the show. Awesome, Scott. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Like I start off every show, Brian, please give me your take on what getting a good start means to you. Getting a good start to me. So what's interesting is when you talk to a lot of uh, people these days, they talk about their amazing morning routines, right? Uh, And to be honest, I've never been a morning person. Uh, so I don't have any kind of crazy uh, routines or schedules that I think that people should should adopt. I think I do my best work at night. But when it comes to getting a good start in the day, to me, I think it all starts with gratitude and uh, and servant leadership. And I was talking to somebody the other day, and I think one of the things about being in the military is you get used to what we call embracing the suck. And so some mornings, you know, you could be, again, in sandy places like Iraq or Afghanistan, you're sleeping on a cot, most likely uh, in some cases, um, or for my infantry brothers and sisters, potentially on the ground. And I think you just learn to be much more appreciative of the things that you have. So every morning that I wake up, you know, I think about the fact that my family right now is safe and healthy. You know, we just talked uh, earlier that my, my father had just gotten the second uh, vaccine. So one is, you know, you appreciate family. Number two is I have a, you know, a, a roof over my head. I have heat. I have water, which if, you know, we're, this episode is coming on the heels of what just happened in, in Texas. So you can't take that stuff for granted. And then finally, I have the, the luxury of being involved in leading the next generation of, of leaders um, at Seton Hall University at the Pacino Leadership Institute, but I also have an opportunity to work with uh, athletes and coaches and business leaders uh, through Top Metal Game too. So every morning that I wake up, I feel like I have a lot of serving to do that day and I am, I'm excited to kind of get up and get out of bed, even if it's a little later than most people. <laughs> Brian, thinking about your military service, I'm sure there were some special special ops things you were privy to, but I'm sure one of them wasn't traveling back in time. But if you were able to go back in time, if there was some secret doorway in the White House that you were able to go in and go back in time and go talk to your 22, 23 year old self and give your own self a piece of advice and say, listen, here's what I learned over the last, you know, 25 years, what would that piece of advice be that you would give yourself? 
Yeah, great question. I, I really love this question. I love previous answers that your guests have given to here on this. I think for me, you know, the going back in time and giving myself uh, the advice would be to go after it. I feel like for a large portion of my early career, I was too comfortable being kind of a cog in the machine. And if you're familiar with the military academies, after you graduate, you have to go into uh, into service for five or six years. And when I was doing that, I was almost like, I don't say going through the motions, but I felt like I was just, I was a cog. And it wasn't until I got to West Point uh, as an instructor, when I looked around the table and I saw how many of my peers, it's a big army out there. And you know, it's, you know, it's uh, kind of a metaphor for, for, you know, the corporate world as well. There, there's a lot of opportunities out there. And it wasn't until I was probably in my late 20s that I kind of figured out, wow, you know, there's so much more out there and that I should not be comfortable just kind of in my status quo going through the blocking and tackling. And so my, my best advice would be seek out those opportunities. Don't put your blinders on and have, you know, a wide aperture when you're looking at uh, the different opportunities that are available to you. A lot of people have answered similarly to that, you know, go out and get it. Don't be afraid. I mean, Al, um, Al Dukes had said, you know, he wished he would have applied himself to go out and get a better internship at a bigger radio station or, you know, go after and try to land a job with the place he really wanted to work instead of the place he thought he could work. So I think it's stretching yourself is what you're saying. Yeah, I think, you know, these days it's, there's a lot of pressures on young people to uh, to potentially play it safe, right? And to and to not go after that internship at the place you want to work, because we tell the ourselves these crazy narratives of you know that's for other kids that are out there. That's you know I I don't deserve that. It's almost like uh, the imposter syndrome if you've heard of that term kind of seeping in. Uh, and so my thing is to break through those barriers. Oftentimes those are self-imposed limitations that we put on ourselves that um, they're not rational, right? And so right. go for it, that, that'll be my advice. Brian, you are around college students all the time. You see them come and go, and certainly you see them off at the end of their careers and at your institution as they're heading off to the next phase of their life. What's one thing you wish you could stop them before you see them out the door? What's a piece of advice you would give them? Hey. This is a, here's my jewel of information for you as you leave here. I think as it pertains to, to leadership, the two things that we do at the Piscino Leadership Institute, which I think are powerful and something that I would recommend to any college graduate. One is seeking out opportunities to lead. And the second one, which is re really want to kind of hone in on here is feedback. Leadership is one of these weird things that are in our society where there's not an easy blueprint for how to become a great leader. And in order to be the most effective leader that we can be, you have to have feedback. Think about it. You know, oftentimes we throw people in the corporate world into, you know, they go from employee into a management position. And oftentimes, particularly in smaller and mid-sized companies, there's not a lot of leadership development training that is offered to them. It's almost like, on the job training. And even when you are in those positions, 
It's like, where are you getting the feedback from in order to determine whether you're doing it right or not? Leadership is almost one of these things where we feel like you can learn how to be a good leader almost through osmosis, right? Mm -hmm. You just be put in the spot and you're just going to learn it. But that for a, for a college graduate, you know, that's asking a lot. They have to determine uh, first, who are the leaders that they want to emulate? Are they good leaders? And then they have to see if they can model that behavior. And oftentimes, you know, leadership also is a lot about trial and error. And so my number one advice I would give to college graduates is find someone, a mentor, doesn't necessarily have to be in your organization. That's great if it is, but be proactive in seeking out a mentor to give you feedback. Um, and don't be afraid of that feedback. I think that's, you know, I, one kind of quick aside. 30 years ago, if a CEO in a Fortune 100 company had a leadership coach, they may have been perceived as weak or, uh, you know, oh, what's, what's wrong with them? They don't know how to be a good leader. Today, you will not find a Fortune 100 company that has a CEO that doesn't have a leadership coach. We all need coaches. We all need feedback. And so for young college graduates coming out, I would say be proactive in seeking out that, that, that mentor. Ryan, you, you talk about leadership and about seeking out leadership opportunities. What is the thing that is the benefit of being a leader? What do you see as one of the, the things that, you know, mold someone into a different type of person because they have become a leader? I think so being a leader has different incentives for different people, right? For, for some people being a leader, they enjoy having that title. And I would say if that's your motivation for, for be, being a leader, that's probably not a good recipe for, you know, at least the type of leadership that we purport at, at Seton Hall, which is, is kind of servant leadership. But I think the benefits of being a leader is you get to automatically become a part of something bigger than yourself. I mean, that's what I was, why I was attracted to sports. That's why I was attracted to the military. That's why I was attracted to coming into higher ed at Seton Hall, where you can become part of something bigger than yourself. I know you had Kevin Cummings on your show and he talks about, you know, leading a life of significance. Um, you know, first is success and then you kind of, you, you want to lead a life of significance. And I couldn't agree with that assessment more. When you become a leader, it's almost guaranteed an other's perspective. When you wake up in the morning, you know, you're, you think of others first as opposed to yourself. And to me, that is when I'm in my sweet spot. That's when I'm in my pocket. That's when I'm feeling the most uh, fulfilled in, in my in, in my life. You know, beyond my family, of course. Um, but yeah, I think those would be the the major incentives for for wanting to be a leader. Brian, you were in the military. You were in combat. You know, tell me about your first experience leading combat troops and something you learned from that. Yeah. So the first time I, you know, I had done some deployments in and around uh, the United States. But then it wasn't until after 9-11 that um, I ended up being deployed to Afghanistan. And I was a, a, a troop commander at the time, a company commander. So I had 106 people underneath my charge. And I think the one thing that really kind of spoke to me about those experiences was how good a job the Army did in training you. Even though the stakes are obviously higher when you're in combat, you're relying off of your training. You know, the SEALs have a great quote from uh, the Greek poet Archilochus that says, we don't rise to the level of our expectations, we fall to the level of our training. 
And I think that applies big time in just life in general, where whether I'm working with a college student, a business leader, or an athlete, there's this misconception that we can automatically act one way in practice, so to speak, and then another way during games. You know, we, we, that's like the worst phrase is like, I'll put on my game face. And what we know in the military is that's not necessarily true. When the bullets are flying and when you are in those compromised positions, you fall back on your training, not some, okay, now we're, you know, we're in the Super Bowl, we attach our cape onto us and we become kind of superheroes. No, you revert back to what, what you've been trained to do. And so that's, that's probably the biggest takeaway that I had uh, from my first combat deployment. You know, thinking about the time when, you know, you were advising and, and, and teaching about terrorism and counterterrorism and advising members of Congress and, and FBI and CIA and, and all the security agencies you worked with in the past. You know, I imagine you were in some pretty high level meetings and that could be a pretty daunting thing to go into your first high level meeting with a bunch of members of Congress or something have to talk about something. You know, what's something that you can take away from those experiences and say, hey, Cindy or Billy or Bobby who are going off to their first job and they're going to wind up being in the boardroom at some point. Sure. What's what's a piece of advice you can give them so, you know, they get the most out of that experience? Absolutely. So I had the, the benefit when I was at the Combating Terrorism Center, as you mentioned, to kind of brief the nation's senior leaders. So I was there, you know, as a major initially um, and then a lieutenant colonel, but having the opportunity to brief the Secretary of Defense. Uh, I briefed two different CIA directors, uh, multiple four-star generals. I had the opportunity, as you mentioned, to testify in front of Congress. And I think, uh, just to back up one step, I was the type of officer when I was growing up where I would get nervous to the point of almost stuttering if I was talking to a person that was two ranks above me. So when I was a lieutenant, I was nervous talking to majors. When I was a captain, I was nervous talking to lieutenant colonels. And so there I was in this position in order to, to brief these people. I think the one thing that I would uh, take away is the best leaders care about the best ideas and they don't care about where it comes from. And so one of the lessons that I learned was when these individuals were in the room, they didn't look at me like a major or a lieutenant colonel. They looked at me as actually a PhD that could provide them insight uh, that they did not have. And so as long as your, your content was on point, there's no covering up bad content, right? Like you have to know what you're talking about. That gave me a lot of confidence when I was talking in the room in those situations because those people were interested in the idea, not who was, whose mouth it was coming out of. And the second one I would say is I had a great piece of advice from my first boss. I had just got done briefing. I think it was a, a three-star general at the time. And I walked out like I was completely overwhelmed. And my boss said, how do you think that went? And I said, I think it went okay. And he said, I'll give you a good heuristic about briefing senior leaders um, down the road. He goes, you will always be able to identify the great ones by the proportion which they speak versus the proportion by which they listen. And the great ones are always going to be listening more than the ones that are on what we would call transmit mode, where they're just speaking the entire time. And so I think those two things would be my advice to, uh, you know, to college graduates that find themselves in the boardroom is, remember, 
good ideas are good ideas. It shouldn't matter whose mouth it's coming out of. And watch and pay attention to the leaders who are doing more listening than, than speaking and try to emulate them moving forward. You know, we talked about, Brian, you being a, a Apache helicopter pilot. And I'm sure, aside from the radars and the weapon systems and the heads-up displays, and not, not to mention just the gauges to fly the machine, right? There is so much information coming into you and a lot of pressure to perform. And uh, you really just stay in the air and be alive, right? That's a lot. That's a lot of overwhelming feelings. Your brain is overworked. Your sensor, all your senses are overworked. I would say it's, it could be pretty similar to finals week at any college in the United <laughs> States, right? Sure. Um, how can we coach college students and say, listen, that's the extreme, right? College final week, but any time yep. in life, how can we get them back to center to focus on the task at hand and get stuff done and not be paralyzed? by all the information coming into us? Yeah, I think um, I would probably answer this in, in kind of two parts. The first one is when you're flying a helicopter, as you mentioned, there is a litany of, you know, switches, buttons, lights that are, it can be completely overwhelming from a sensory perspective. But what they teach you is when the master caution light starts coming on, you know, you might have some different colored lights, but when that red master caution is, is coming on, the number one advice that they tell you is fly the aircraft. And I think, you know, so forget about all of these other extraneous things that are going on. And the first, you know, before you start pulling levers on engines or, you know, start fiddling with uh, turning on and off systems, fly the aircraft. And I think the, you know, how that relates to college students is, Figure out what the, you know, what, what is the end state that you want to happen here? And that's to do well on your finals. So let's put all of our focus on those things and not on the rest of the noise that's going out there. So when it's time to focus on your finals, you're focused on your finals. You're not worrying about your Instagram post. You're not worrying about, you know, what your significant other is or is not doing. You're not focused on applying to internships at that time. Fly the aircraft in this situation, it would be, you know, focusing on, uh, on the task at hand, the most important thing. The second thing is the analogy here is when you're flying in a helicopter and you have a emergency situation, like we just talked about, remember you have a, you have a teammate, you know, you, you have a, you have a co-pilot. And so I think oftentimes the impulse is to do everything ourselves, but if you can just offload some tasks to another person in order to help you know, fly the helicopter and, you know, maybe you say, hey, you get on the radios while I'm working through the, the system here. You get the checklist. I think how it relates to college students is um, know when you need help, right? And there's a, there's a tremendous amount of support systems at colleges to help people out, whether that's, you know, mental health, whether that's, um, you, you know, hotlines, whether that's, it, you know, uh, contacting friends or family in order to help you cope with the with, with the pressures don't think that you need to kind of do it all alone i think that's where a lot of students get in trouble absolutely and you know one of the things that i've been saying to some of my students is as soon as you get into college go check out the career center and start building a relationship with that area because they are a resource of do's and don'ts and you can't go there in a panicked situation at the middle of your senior year saying, 
help me find a job, right? You have to be building towards it. And I think exactly. it's those sort of services that colleges have um, available to them. Like when I was a, a, in grad school, they had a art counselor and really they helped with brain blocks and creative blocks and mental cool. creative blocks are very difficult to come overcome. And I had no idea we had this resource available to us. And then I found out about it and I used it once and it was terrific. So really that advice is gold, you know, go seek out help, know what your options are, maybe even beforehand. And that's part of preparation, right? That's part of getting a good start is being prepared. So yep. be prepared by knowing what's out there. Can I throw a third one out there just while we're thinking about this? Absolutely. Sleep. It is the number one most legal performance enhancement tool. I don't care if you're talking about taking tests or playing sports or doing well in a job interview, sleep. I think all too often uh, young folks and, and, you know, folks my age too are probably guilty of this as well. Thinking like, I'll just pull the all-nighter and I'll be okay. Well, when you pull multiple all-nighters and you have chronic sleep deprivation, it shows up in decision-making. We found this out in the military. And so, you know, uh, sleep is the most legal, best performance enhancement tool that's out there, no matter what you're doing. Excellent. Brian, very insightful, everything you said. And, and having you on the show is really an honor. We appreciate and thank you for your service in the military. And I know the students appreciate having you as a resource at Seton Hall University, as well as all the young student athletes you're helping with topmentalgame.com. Thank you for coming on the show. Awesome, Scott. Thanks for having me.